After there was a, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who is crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him and clasped his feet and worshipped him. In the year 1400, a man named Owen Glendower proclaimed himself the Prince of Wales and led a Welsh rebellion against the English throne. He attempted to set up a uh, government, allied himself with the King of France, and won a few military victories against England. But the English military was too strong and too numerous for Glendower. Support for his rebellion waned, and in 1415, he disappears from history. According to Jeremy Black in his book, uh, History of the British Isles, Glendower has emerged in our day as a potent symbol for Welsh independence. And then Black says this, like many leaders, Glendower was more useful as a dead symbol for posterity. What about our leader? Is he more useful to us dead? Like Muhammad's teaching for Islam, Buddha's teaching for Buddhism, are the teachings of Christ sufficient for Christianity? If all we have are his teaching, his words, is that sufficient? Because if it is, we don't care if he's dead or not. We have his teachings. But the Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, without the reality of this day, there is no Christianity. There is no good news. Faith is futile. And Christians are to be pitied. No resurrection, no Christianity. No resurrection, and the cross means nothing. When Jesus walked on earth, he was recognized as a man of God, a prophet. He worked miracles. He spoke with authority. 
He talked about God. He called people to a higher level of righteousness. He became the final arbiter of the law of God. The masses around him acclaimed him as a chosen Messiah, the deliverer of God's people. They even hailed him as king. But Jesus also made some disquieting claims about himself, that he was a unique, capital S, son of God. That to have seen him was to have seen God, whom he called Father. That he was a blessed one who would return on clouds of glory. That he would be the one to judge all mankind. That he possessed authority to forgive sins. And then he died. Crucified by those who considered him an enemy of God and his people. Now what? He could hold too much of his teaching. I mean, it was good stuff. He worked miracles so you could class him with Moses or Elijah or Elisha, the great prophets, if you chose to disregard his claims about himself. Because if you didn't ignore his claims about himself, you would have to conclude that he was a bit loopy with delusions of grandeur. And that's where the apostles found themselves on Friday and all day Saturday and early Sunday morning. All their hopes pinned to this guy who lay dead. Might as well go home. End of story. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He was alive again. He is alive now. In his resurrection, the power of the triune God was made manifest. Ephesians 1, that God the Father exercises great might when he raised Jesus from the dead. John 10, Jesus said that he had the authority to lay down his life and to take it up again. Romans 1 verse 4, Jesus was declared with power to be the Son of God by the Holy Spirit. So Father and Son and Spirit, the resurrection displays his, their power. Jesus who died now lives. Again, Romans 1 verse 4, that by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus was declared with power to be the Son of God. That is a very big deal. This means that what Jesus did was in fact the work of God. What Jesus said, his teaching, but also his claims about himself is vindicated by God. It's like God stands with his arm around Jesus' soldier, uh, soldier and says to all people everywhere, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. What he says is true. You can trust him. The resurrection is proof positive that Jesus is the son of God. And it's on the basis of Jesus' sonship that all Christianity rests. So yes, no Easter, no resurrection, no Christianity. 
Jesus Christ of Nazareth of 2,000 years ago has been raised from the dead. He is risen. Therefore, he is the Son of God. And the fact that Jesus is the Son of God from eternity past has all kinds of implications for you. First of all, if Jesus really is the Son of God, then your sins really are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. His death is sufficient to pay for the sins of the world, how much less your own sins. Suppose you were in debt, $10,000 or $100,000. You didn't have the resources to pull yourself out of debt to get your feet under you again, and the creditors are closing in. But suppose you have a, had a friend named Bill Gates, whose net worth is $78 billion. And Bill said, not to worry. He'll take care of your debts and get your feet under you again. Do you wonder if he's got the funds to pay your debt? Do you wonder if he's got the resources to pay your debt? Jesus is the son of God. His life is of infinite worth. Is there a sin that he's not worthy to cover? Can you ever commit a sin, any sin, that is too big for him? Oh, that's a little much. I'm not sure I can cover that one. His life of infinite worth he gave for your sins. So don't call God a liar and said, I know you said I'm forgiven in Christ, but I'm not really. Your sins are forgiven. Christ is your advocate who always lives to make intercession for you. You will be presented to God, pure and spotless, saved by grace. If the Son shall make you free, you are free indeed. You needn't live under shame. You don't have to be weighed down by guilt. The Lord does not hold your sins against you. Your sins are forgiven. Secondly, if Jesus is the Son of God, then God really does love you. God really loves you. I think it's all too easy for us to think God doesn't love us. Life is hard. If God truly loved us, he'd make life easy. He would remove us from our trials, right? But, and you've heard me say this before, we know that God loves us because he gave his son, his only son, Jesus, to die for us. Now, think of that. He gave his son, his eternal divine son, to die for you. Why? Because he loves you. He could have said, you sinned, the problem is yours. But his heart broke for you. 
You couldn't possibly pay the debt of your sin. You couldn't possibly face the judgment for your sin. It would destroy you. But God loves you passionately and intimately. He gave his son that you wouldn't be destroyed. Jesus, the son of God, was killed for you. Though innocent, he took our place. We celebrated that this morning. And we are free. You've heard me quote these verses before as well. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Romans 5.8 But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 5 verse 1, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and live a life of love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. One more, 1 John 4, verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The love of God and the cross of Christ are always linked in the New Testament. If God gave his only son for you, what does that say about God's love for you? Nothing can separate us from his love. He has shown immeasurable kindness in Christ Jesus. God loves you. Third, If Jesus is the son of God, you have been made children of God. You are a child of God. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called his children. And the word of God says in the book of John, and to all who believed in Jesus' name, to them he gave, I love this word, he gave the right to be children of God. He didn't just make it available for us. He didn't just, if we ask God, he'll say, well, yes, you are my child. He gave the right to become children of God. And if God says of Jesus, this is my son, you can trust him, then who you have believed in Jesus are a child of God. What does it mean to be someone's child? I tell my kids, I love you. I will always love you. No matter what you do. We, Cara and I, we provide for our kids. Not just what they need, but more than they need. God is the perfect 
father. That means he is absolutely committed to your good. His thoughts toward you are tender. He's not watching you as a judge to see whether you perform or not. God sits at your bedside and kisses you gently as you drift off to sleep. God stretches out his arms wide to embrace you. God is proud of you, not only if you try and succeed, but if you try and fail. God is not like our imperfect fathers. Our fathers are imperfect, imperfect to the extent that they are not like God. You are the very loved child of the maker of the universe. And we know it because Jesus said it. And he is the son of God. And fourth and finally, if, if we can believe Jesus, which surely we can, you who are in Christ have eternal life. Again, we know it because Jesus said it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Jesus said that. Those God called, he also glorified. And we will share in a resurrection like his. Death will no longer have mastery over us. We have new life with no tears. The Bible says that your hardship will be light and momentary compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. Jerry Bridges, in his book, uh, The Pursuit of Holiness, says this. One thing we may be sure of, however, for the believer, all pain has meaning. All adversity is profitable. There is no question that adversity is diff difficult, it usually takes us by surprise and seems to strike us where we are both uh, most vulnerable. To us, it often appears completely senseless and irrational. But to God, none of it is either senseless or irrational. He has a purpose in every pain he brings or allows in our lives we can be sure that in some way he intends it for our profit and for his glory. It doesn't make our difficulties less. We don't think, well, I suppose this isn't hard after all. It is hard. Sickness is hard. Loss is hard. But these verses about our glory point to how great it is. And how great it is makes our difficulties now that seem so crushing. Glory makes it seem like it never happened. Consider the illustration earlier. You're in debt $100,000. That's a fair amount by anyone's standards. Our difficulties are significant. But suppose you are given $78 billion dollars. You could spend $2 million a day for 100 years to get through $78 billion. So suddenly, a debt of $100,000? That seems like nothing. Life eternal 
will make our sufferings in this life suddenly seem like nothing. We will forget our trials because the glory that will, that will be revealed in us in the incomparable reality of our eternity. You have eternal life. You are a child of God. You are loved by God. Your sins are forgiven. We know this is truth because you have the word of Jesus himself. How do we know he speaks the truth? Because he is the son of God. How do we know he is the son of God? Because God has raised him from the dead. We know these things are true because of today. Because of Easter Sunday. Resurrection Sunday. Jesus is risen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask you to affirm our faith. Take your hymnals and turn to number 622. The Apostles' Creed, which for centuries has been the Christian affirmation of what Christianity is, what we believe. And I'm going to ask you to stand as we read this together. The Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. You may be seated. The band is going to come up and lead us in some singing. Um, most of you know some of these songs. If you don't know them, that's, a, that's all right. Sit, listen, think about the, what the words reflect. There are um, some phrases that are kind of poetic, uh, sorry, biblical words that not all of you are familiar with or even some who are Christian don't get. Um, but that's okay. We're just going to sing. We're going to sing praise to the Lord. And that's a perfect thing to do at the end of this Easter weekend.